Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good morning, how are you? Everybody good? Awesome, I'm excited. Hey, when you walk out today, um, you're going to see a beautiful 1976 Corvette, all original, sitting on the patio out there. Uh, that's the Corvette. We had a very generous family in our, uh, in our church that bought that as a giveaway for our men's breakfast that is this coming Saturday. Uh, it's called Turbos and Tacos, if you haven't heard. And we are having our first men's car show. Now, when I made that a men's only event, my wife got very angry at me because she likes cars a whole lot. Um, and Turbos and Breakfast Tacos. Have you been to Rudy's? Have you had the Holy Spirit's anointing? breakfast taco at Rudy's. Uh, so it's, it's a free event. Um, you can actually, men, it's, it's a men's sponsored event, but if you want to bring your families, you're completely welcome to bring your families. Uh, come hang out. We've got, I don't know how many cars will be represented uh, showing off their wares and whatnot, and we're just going to have a great time. Everyone that registers online, you register at oakschurch.com slash events. Anyone that registers gets their name put in the drawing, one raffle ticket. We will be selling raffle tickets as well, and the proceeds uh, will go toward future men's events and ways that we can invest in men's ministry here. Um, and I do wanna make one specific rule, that if you are a female and you register, you have to have a male sponsor to win. Only a man can win this Corvette. I'm sorry, it's a men's event. It's a men's event. It just wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right. It's not misogyny. It's not chauvinism. It's a men's event. We'll allow you to come and enjoy and have a talk but a man will go home with the Corvette. In the name of Jesus, let it be written, let it be known. <laughs> uh, we had an awesome uh, epics event last night. The, our senior ministry threw a Christmas party, and it was a fantastic event. Thank you so much, Joe and Diane. Um, we got so many great groups, so many great ways to get connected in our church. Uh, the senior ministry is incredibly strong. We've got great small groups. Inside of our church, our youth ministry is in a, just an incredible new season. I'm excited about the great things going on. If you haven't yet plugged into one of our different uh, connect groups or different outside ministries, women's ministry, Bible studies and small groups, there's so many great ways. You know, the, one of the hardest things about this season is we've been in a season of put your mask on and get away from everybody. And it's the complete opposite of the mission of any pastor which is take the mask off that you wear all the time, covering up who you truly are, and let's get close together and let's really get to know each other. That, that's the mission uh, of the church of Jesus Christ, is to get people to really reveal themselves and to come together. It's all about community. It's all about our connection together. And so it's important as we come through this season and we come into this victorious time uh, that, we, that we really do connect. And we're so grateful that we have technology and people can worship with us online. But we need to be together. We need to connect together. We're simply better together. And we're, we're in a season truly where we're going to see people that have, uh, throughout this last 18, 24 months, completely separated. They're isolated. They may be watching online, and that's great, and that's wonderful. But they're supplementing with vitamins uh, what, what they could be getting naturally or when organically. And you just cannot ever, as the Bible says, forsake the gathering together of believers. We make each other better. God gives us relationships 
to sharpen us. The scripture says that one man sharpens his friend like iron sharpens iron, okay? And it's important. Sometimes in life, God gives you people that cause sparks in your life. My wife causes sparks in a very good way in my life, but sometimes she causes sparks in ways I don't like. Because iron sharpens iron. But we need each other. She makes me better, and I make her better. Amen, in Jesus' name. Let me pray, and we're going to jump right into this new series I'm so excited about. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, nobody is here to listen to the clever ideas of a human being. God, we're here to hear your voice direct from your lips to our ears. God, would you speak to us today? Would you inspire me? And Father, would you release your wisdom, your knowledge, your creativity, and your truth into the hearts and minds of your people? Amen. Amen. Well, as I was praying earlier in the year about what this series or this theme would be, uh, instantly the song, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him, jumped up in my spirit. I love that song. I love Christmas songs. I can't wait for our first Christmas Eve services. We've never been able to do that before. Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell y'all, we bought the building. We own the building. How could I forget that? Congratulations, Oaks Church. You did it, you did it, you did it. This week on Wednesday, how did I forget that? For crying out loud, just the biggest news besides Jesus, I mean, for crying out loud, I'm just playing. But, but really exciting, we're 33 months old. On Wednesday afternoon, 3.30 p.m., Jennifer and I went and signed the papers and Oaks Church now owns this building. We've taken a piece of territory in McKinney, Texas, Collin County, and it's just gonna grow from there, guys. The, the building is not the church. You're the church. The building is a tool that we can use to do incredible and amazing things, okay? So the vision of the church is not a building. The vision of the church is touching and transforming lives of thousands and thousands and thousands of people inside of this region. I believe with all my heart, uh, if, if you know anything, we have these special kind of oak trees here in North Texas called live oaks. And if you've ever had a live oak and you've ever had a swimming pool, and a live oak near your swimming pool, it's a love-hate relationship. Because you understand how prolific a live oak tree is. See, the thing about a live oak is it's evergreen. It's green all year round. But the problem with a live oak is that it's evergreen, and it's green all year round. And multiple times a year, it drops something. Whether it's dropping its acorns, or whether it's dropping its curly cues, I don't know what they're actually called, but they're curly cues. They fill up your pool. It's horrifically traumatic if you are a homeowner with a pool, or if you just have, are trying to keep your yard clean or whatever. But the idea, the concept is they are proliferating. They're creating life. They're releasing life. And the vision of Oaks Church is to create life. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people will be saved through the existence of Oaks Church. Thousands of people will be saved, amen? But they're not just gonna be saved because they came to a service. They're gonna be saved because you are going to become one of the most incredible sharers of the good news of Jesus Christ that you could ever imagine. You have a part to play in this. See, we as the uh, leaders of the church, the scriptures declare that it's our job to equip the saints for the working of the ministry. You're the real ministers. 
You have a sphere of influence. You have an opportunity to make a difference and to shine the light into circles and and, into places that I don't have an invitation to go, but you do. And sure, certainly you should invite people. In fact, this is one of the greatest times of the year to invite people. People will come. People are hungry for relationship. They're hungry for a connection. And the holidays is a time of naturally joining. So bring people and invite people and make that a part of your normal thing. But I want to encourage you with all my heart to recognize that you are a minister of the gospel and God has people in your life that he wants you to shine your light in. And you may feel like, well, I don't know what to say and I'm gonna tell you, we're going to begin to teach you and train you of what to say. But the number one thing is share your story. What has God done in your life? What has he rescued you from? You don't have to be a Bible theologian or expert or scholar in order to share the story of the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he saved you from. All you have to do is have love in your heart and a willingness to share and say, hey, you know what? This is what God has done in my life. You could be an incredible evangelist. And that's part of the vision in the, in the, in the future of Oaks Church. But as I begin to look into this theme of adore, I started asking questions. What, what does that word even mean? See, we have words in our culture that we use and, and, and we use them for so many things, like, like the word love. You know, I love God, and I love tacos, right? I love my wife, and I love football. We, and we use the same word, and it has varying measures. Well, we use the word adore that way too, right? You, you see a young newlywed couple, uh, and, and they're, you know, they're in their early 20s, and, and they're just all syrupy, cute, and sweet, and innocent, and whatever, and all that. And you're like, oh, aren't they adorable or you're a lady and you see someone with a pair of shoes that you love and you say oh my gosh aren't they adorable hashtag adorbs I think this all these hashtags and adorbs and totes and I mean all of these words the Kardashians have ruined the English language that's all I have to say about that it's a it's a interesting thing but in this holiday season we have lots of opportunity to adore. See, you're gonna be invited to go different places. There's parties, there's events, there's different things. And oftentimes when you get an invitation, the bottom of the invitation has these four strange little letters. R-S-V-P. Does anyone actually know what that means? I didn't know, I knew it was French. French, some Frenchy thing. Responde, s'il vous play. Something like that. That's how you say it in Texas French. It's all about a response. A response is important. People need to hear a response. And a response is part of your adoration. When I was newly married, uh, we moved from the, the great state of Oklahoma down here to the wonderful country of Texas. And we... Uh, Instantly, we're very, very busy. I was working a, a partners in a, in a business and was working 14-hour days. My wife was starting over with her, um, with her clientele as a, as a cosmetologist, and so she had no clients, and I had hundreds, and, and it, was a, it was a very busy time for me and a lot of free time for her. 
And I remember being just 22 years old and broke as a joke, you know, I mean, literally just trying to scratch it out. I mean, we, we had a little apartment. It was our second apartment, and it was massive. This massive, spacious apartment that was 700 feet big. It was, it was almost double our last apartment, which was 450 feet, including 50 feet of ins- inside stairs. It was t- the tiniest little thing. So, so we're in this apartment in Plano, and we're trying to make life work, and I was working literally 12 and 14 hour days and my sweet, innocent, wonderful bride would call me in the middle of my work day a lot because she didn't have much to do and she didn't have any friends here yet. She was alone, she didn't have any family, didn't have any friends, we're still trying to find a church and she would call me and call me, call me and she would say, what are you doing? And I would answer and I would say, where did you call me? That doesn't make sense in our modern culture because cell phones didn't used to be a thing. You used to have a phone that was at an actual desk or on a wall. Some of you kids have never even seen a phone that is stuck in one place. Does does anybody even have a work phone number anymore? Some people do, I guess, but my God, it's like a computer-generated number that goes whatever, and it rings to a cell phone somewhere. Now your phone's always on you. There used to be this thing called peace, (laughs) where you could actually be away from a phone, and no one could get a hold of you. Now, if it takes them five minutes to get a response back, they're furious at you because you're somehow neglecting them. Oh, how culture has ruined us. But because I was at work and I'm answering a work phone, what are you doing? Where did you call me? At work. Yeah. What do you think I'm doing? I'm working. Now, I don't know if you know or not, but that's not how you respond (laughs) to a loving, adorable, fabulous dream love girl of your life and in my idiotic amateur hour don't know how to be a husband season of life my response brought about reactions that I didn't like I don't know if you know this or not men but you can ruin an atmosphere with one word I only had to come home from work one day to a messy house and say, what do you do all day? I only had to say that once to realize that it instantly closes the kitchen, it ruins dinner, everything is over if you ever, young married folk, single folk, never something to say. We're gonna have a whole class on what not to say. I'll be an expert at it. See, when we respond to people, the way we respond shows what's in our heart. And honestly, we have a young generation that doesn't know how to respond to authority. Because we have an epidemic of fatherlessness in our nation, and there's not a respect for authority. See, I remember, I remember growing up in school, and if I got in trouble at school, I got in trouble at home. If I got paddled at school, some of y'all kids don't even know about this. Your principal used to have a paddle. My history teacher had a paddle. 
His paddle had a name, Big Red. It was this long, it was some kind of red mahogany, whatever. Every victim of Big Red got to sign Big Red. My name was on there at least once. Have you ever gotten licks from the tennis coach? Not a good idea. You act right in the tennis coach's class. See, there used to be this thing called respect for authority. Doesn't exist any. Striking a teacher? Talking back to a teacher? Never. Never. Because whatever licks I got at school, mass multiply that at home. But now we give timeouts, have talks. And when little Tommy or somebody comes home upset, we get all in a huff and we go up there and we give that little teacher a piece of our minds because our little kid. My God, give me your kid for five minutes. Straighten him out. Leave the room. Just leave the room. We don't know how to talk to authority anymore. We think it's okay to talk back to police officers. We think it's okay. Somehow we have, now we have a Facebook, we have a social media account, and all of a sudden we think that whatever pops in our head is important enough to share. Guess what? It's not. And we ruin relationships, and we cause division, and we separate things. See, there's a way that you talk to people simply because of a position that they hold in your life or in your culture. There's a reason that the Bible said, children, honor your father and mother that you will live long on the earth. You know why? Because in scripture, it said if a child blasphemes or curses or speaks against their parents, they could be stoned to death in the village. That's in the Bible. Oh, you better be thankful for Jesus coming and fulfilling the rules because some of y'all been dead a long time ago talking back to your parents. There's no respect anymore. There's no honor anymore. We think it's okay. Listen, when I get pulled over, I didn't say if. (laughs) When? I am incredibly respectful to authority figures. Why? Because it's wise, number one. Number two, because it's right. Because they hold a position of authority. And the position they hold has nothing to do with their behavior or their integrity or whether they're a good person or not. They hold a position, so I treat with honor. Just basic stuff I learned from my parents that isn't taught nowadays. Can I tell you, your spouse holds a position in your life. And simply because of the position, and I said spouse, not just husband. Because a wife holds a position of honor in your life. And the way I speak to my wife needs to be in honor because of the position she holds. I remember the first time my dad heard me talk back to my mom. Let me say, I remember the only time 
my dad heard me talk back to my mom. My dad was on me so fast. I can't remember what I said, but I popped off at my mom. I think I got in trouble for using toilet talk. I said, shut up, and that was somehow toilet talk. And, and, and my house was very strict growing up, you understand. And, and, and I talked back. I said something smart. I was about 12, feeling myself. And my dad was on me so quick, and my dad would never, I mean, don't get me wrong, he spanked me a lot, and I deserved it, but my dad would never abuse me or really lay a hand on me violently at all. He was a wonderful, and is a wonderful man, and was a wonderful dad. But my dad would do this thing where he would take two little fingers, and he would hold gently the skin of my throat, just like, just not pinching, not hurting, just this. I mean, gentle even, but by God, that'll get your sticking attention. Just this. And he got right in my face, and he said, don't you ever talk to my wife like that again. And after I wet myself, <laughs> I realized this is not my mom in this moment. This is this psychopath's wife <laughs> who's gonna gut me like a fish. If I, I, I honor, honor. It's absent in our culture in so many ways that we think that our loud voice and our loud opinions and, and whatever, whatever levels, and, and look, I, I know me talking about this stuff might stir up some things, and that's okay because I'm not here to coddle anybody. And I'm certainly not here to enable somebody. I'm here to challenge you. We need to be a people of honor that respect and treat with honor the people that are in authority in our culture and in our lives. And remember, authority is something that comes from only God. So even if that politician that you despise and you think is horrific and you think is an abomination on this party or that party or this side or that side, if they're in a position of authority, it came from God. And if they're bad authority, it's a punishment on you. We get our, listen, you don't like the last few presents we got? It's a punishment on us because we're not representing God in our culture. And so we're getting what we deserve as unrighteous people in America. And if we want better leaders, the church should arise and create culture that deserves better leaders. Y'all okay? It's actually not in my notes here. Um, let me find my message. <laughs> Guys, we've got to shift the culture. And we're not going to shift the culture by being whiny babies that complain and gripe and rebel and whatever. Now, is there a time to stand up? Absolutely but stand up in righteousness. Stand up in righteousness. Speak forth in righteousness. And can I tell you the number one thing, if you want to change the future, if you want to change the course, if you want to change the action of any individual, the number one thing to do is love. It's love. It's love. It's love. What does it mean to adore? 
What's that word even mean? The first definition from Webster's is to worship as a God. So adoration is connected and tied in to worshiping God from the very beginning, the very first definition. The second definition, to love deeply and devotedly. So you can adore something that you love deeply and are devoted to. So I guess tacos could be that thing. You could deep, you could adore taco. You could, I mean, I'm just saying, it's possible. To revere or hold in a position of honor. Hmm. I guess it does tie in. You can't adore without honor. And honor has nothing to do with behavior. That's the piece that people miss. We're so caught up thinking that we're right to treat people the way they deserve to be treated because of their bad behavior. But that's not how honor works. Honor is you treat somebody based on the position that they hold regardless of their behavior. You can have a lack of respect for someone because of their behavior, yet you demonstrate honor because of their position. Well, this might save somebody's marriage. See, my wife and I have learned over the course of 26 years, many years of doing it the wrong way, that if we'll treat each other with honor, regardless of what the other person deserves, it shifts an atmosphere in our house. See, the biggest thing to realize about this Christmas season, we understand that it's all about Jesus, right? We, 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 during this Christmas season, the whole thing is about remembering Jesus, celebrating the birth of Jesus. But from God's perspective, the story of Christmas is actually all about you. Because Jesus was sent as a means to an end. Jesus was sent out of the adoration in God's heart for his children that he created. The reality is that God actually adores you. You're his child. You're adorable to him. He adores you. He loves you. You're the apple of his eye. He can't stop thinking about you. See, there's a level of understanding the love of God that you really can't fully comprehend until you have a child yourself. It's just, it's, it, there's just no way around it. There, until, you, until you have a child yourself, now that could be through natural birth or that could be through, through adoption, whatever, whatever means. But when you have a child that's yours, there's a level of love that you learn that's completely different than anything else. And it's, it's the first time that you can actually begin to comprehend the level of love that God has for you. See, there's nothing that my girls could do that would make them cease to be my daughters. There's nothing that they could do that would stop me from loving them with every ounce of being in my heart. And how much more? Your heavenly father. 
See, how awkward is it? How off is it to think that you, as a human being, possess the ability to love unconditionally a child, regardless of their behavior? And somehow your love is greater than God's because God's love for you is conditional and based only on your behavior? Oh, we're so off in so many ways of how we relate to the Father that actually adores us at a mass multiple beyond any level of extent of what you could possibly do or how much you could possibly love someone on earth. He loves you more. He adores you more. In your worst times, on your worst days, he adores you. That's why Jesus taught over and over and over and over again to have faith like a child and not like a teenager. Not like a college student. Not like a young married. Not like a mature adult. Not like a senior citizen. The goal was not to have faith like some kind of earthly level of accomplishment. The goal, according to Jesus, was to have this simple, pure, innocent faith like a child adored by his father. See, with my girls, you know what I couldn't resist? This. Oh my God. Both of them. They would do this, and they would say, Hoju. You know, the saddest day of my life was when they learned how to pronounce the word hold. No, 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 no. Hoed. Hoed. No, just hoed you. Hoed you. Hoed you. I couldn't resist that. I'm like, are you kidding me? These little blue eyes looking up at me. Hoed you, daddy. Hoed you. Yes. Well, hoed you. Oh, my God. And how much more? How much more does your heavenly father adore you? I want to take you to two stories. In scripture, both of these stories are connected to how an individual that was adored by God responded to God's adoration. The first story is the story of Zechariah. These are both found in Luke chapter one. The story of Zechariah and the story of Mary. Zechariah is a relative of, of Mary's. He's, he's married to her cousin, Elizabeth. And Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, In the time of Herod, of the king of Judah, Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priesthood division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That is such a massive word, blamelessly. Observing all of the laws and the commands and decrees of the Lord blamelessly. That will never be on my tombstone. These are amazing people who obeyed God at the highest of levels, but they were childless because Elizabeth was barren. As the story goes, Zechariah is called to come to the temple. It's his season of ministering at the temple, and so he comes to the temple as one of the priests, and his job is to light the candles inside of the, uh, the, the holy place and to, and to illuminate, and the candles were, were a symbol of, of God's um, 
uh, presence, the Holy Spirit's presence. That's what the, the light and the fire of the Holy Spirit in the, in the holy place was. In verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of the birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is even born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make already a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel... How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now that's a wise old man because he's an old man, but he didn't call his wife old. He called her well along in years. That's better. And watch, and the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until this day because you did not believe my words which come, which will come true at their appointed time. Interesting. Interesting. Zechariah asks a question. But there's an edge on his question. There's some attitude on his question. Now, I don't know if he's just gutsy or feeling himself. He goes from being scared of this angel to questioning the angel and essentially asking him to prove it. How can I be sure of this, he says. How can I be sure of this? Prove it. I'm old. My wife is advancing. I need some proof. Gabriel says, okay, obviously we haven't met yet. My name's Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You don't trust me? You don't believe my word? All right. Here's your proof. You're going to be dumb for the next 40 weeks. Now that's assuming that Zechariah got the job done rapidly. We don't know. Was it a month later she gets pregnant? We, we don't know. But at least 40 weeks, maybe 50, maybe 60, unable to talk. Why? Because of how he responded to the word of God. How he responded to the word of God. See, how we respond affects an atmosphere. How we respond can cause negative things to happen in our lives. But what God wanted to do through Zechariah and Elizabeth was so miraculous and so powerful that he couldn't have Zechariah's doubt and negativity messing up the process. So he just shut him up. And this is the guy who was blameless in his obedience to the word. Yet when he came, come on, watch this. You can be really, 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 really good at the practice of religion, but very uncomfortable 
with the living, breathing experience with the creator. In fact, sometimes our religious practice can make us numb to something that's alive because we know so much, because we become the experts. Oh, well, God would never. Would he not? I mean, that's just foolish. Have you read your Bible? Lots of foolish stuff in the Bible. Do you know that God had one of his prophets run around naked for a couple years? Naked. The naked prophet. Don't think that makes CNN? Fox News? You don't think the naked preacher? Be on C- Crazy stuff. Another one of his prophets had to lay on his side. One side for a year or so, another side for another half a year, and had to cook his food using cow manure as fuel. Weird. Weird. Your Bible. God does weird stuff because he can and obviously, we're kind of fun to him on some level. I mean, I just think him and Jesus are like, watch this one. I don't know. This is crazy. Adoring God starts with attitude. Adoring your wife starts with attitude. Adoring your kids starts with attitude. Adoring your parents starts with attitude. What does adore mean? Deep love. Devoted love. Respect, honor, starts with attitude. Let's look at the next story. This is Mary's encounter. Mary's a 15-year-old high school freshman, maybe a sophomore. Luke chapter one, verse 26, in the sixth month, now Elizabeth's been pregnant for six months. Zechariah's been silent for six months, at least, minimum. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the same angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, now a new town, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Again, a picture of the adoration of God for this 15-year-old high school girl. You, Mary, says, and it says, uh, I'm sorry, greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asks a question. Zechariah asked a question. Mary asks a question. Her question is, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, 
The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Watch this. This is so big. Watch this. This is Gabriel. For no word from God will ever fail. Someone needs to write that down. Someone needs to put that in your book, in your Bible, write it on your mirror. No word of God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Both of them asked a question. Zechariah's question was, how are you going to prove it to me? Mary's question was, how does this work? Because I'm a virgin. I don't even know how the real way works. Let alone this other way. Can you help me understand the process? Can you see there's a very big difference between help me understand the process and prove it? Both are questions different attitudes. See, God is cool with questions. If you're going to have a relationship with God, a real relationship, if you're going to have a faith like a child relationship, the whole thing is based on questions. Show me one child that doesn't ask questions. Oh my God, the questions. They never stop. They're relentless. Question after question. Why after why after why after why after why? Because I said so. Get, just get on this iPad and shut up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Questions. The best thing you can do in your relationship with God is ask innocent hearted questions. Because you're adorable to him. And he wants to spend time with his kids. See, I, <laughs> this is so funny. I used to feel so guilty when I would fall asleep praying. Anybody ever go to pray and fall asleep? Go to read your Bible and fall asleep? If you have a sleeping disorder, read Leviticus. I promise you'll fall straight to sleep. <laughs> straight to sleep. I, I would fall asleep trying to pray. I'm trying to develop this discipline prayer life in my, in my 20s and I would feel so guilty because I'm falling asleep praying. And then I, and then I had babies. And, and, and I began to learn that the most beautiful thing was when they would fall asleep on me. And God began to give me the revelation that he loved it. I call them prayer naps. Hey, we got a nursing mother's room. It's actually the prayer nap room. You didn't know that? That's my room. Nursing moms, it's yours on Sundays. We, it's, it's perfect for you. You can watch the service in there. It's all set up. It's got, it doesn't just have rocking chairs. It's got fully reclining rock. I'm talking full reclinable rocking chairs. I'm like, Jennifer, this is the rocking chair. She goes, you're not in charge of picking furniture in the nursery, in the mother's room. I'm like, babe, this is the rocking chair. She's like, no nursing mom needs a fully reclining rocking chair. I said, it's not for them. (laughs) Me. Can I tell you how many times I go to pray and I'm praying and I doze off 
And while I'm dozing off in God's arms, I have a dream and I wake up and God answers my prayers and I wake up with revelation like nobody's business. You know the only thing that changed? Condemnation. I got a revelation of how much love I had for my daughters and how much more my father loved me. And if the most precious thing for me was my daughter falling asleep, oh, I still, I love it when I'm driving them home from school or from somewhere and they're in the car and they're like, man, open mouth, ah, just sleeping in the car. It's so, so cute. Just so cute still. Your father adores you. He adores you. It's okay to ask questions. It's all about your attitude. Because the reality is God can't resist your adoration. When we adore him. See, this season that we, it is, oh, come let us adore him. This season's all about Jesus to us. To God, the whole season was about how much he adored us, how much he loved us, that he gave his only son. But that's how this thing works. That's how a great relationship works. See, for me, in this relationship I have with this wonderful woman up here, when she adores me and when I adore her, our marriage is incredible. When we have attitudes toward each other, attitudes of adoration, even when they don't deserve it. See, what I learned, and, and, and if you're around us now, and it took a lot of years to learn it took a lot of, my parents in the early years were so nervous because Jennifer and I are both super A-type personalities. We're both loud in our own way. We're both definitely in charge in our own way. And, and my, one of my friends said, you guys are like two positive charges. See, a battery has to have a positive and a negative. They balance each other out. Two positives makes an explosion. And that's been our relationship a lot of times. It's very explosive. It, it's either exploding good or exploding bad. But that's our personalities. But the number one thing that we've learned is we talk so syrupy sweet to each other. Now, years later, I, 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 I at, at all, at every, and get, watch, 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 watch. When she calls me now, I'll be in the middle of, I might be at lunch with you. I might be in the middle of, you, you could be crying over some kind of situation, and I'll be like, hold that thought, it's my wife. Hey baby, are you okay? No, I am in the middle of a meeting right now, but you're more important. Is there anything you need? Now, now don't look at me like I'm some kind of awesome person, because she taught me that. <laughs> After she packed her suitcases and all, I'm just <laughs> She taught me that my response to her hurt her, because I was too busy for her. And I was putting everyone else whoever I was with, over her. And it hurt her. And I taught her. Then when she calls me a complete stinking moron, it hurts my feelings. So she stopped doing that most of the time. I'm just playing. God, I mean, but we literally, we try so hard. I'm like, we, we call each other love and baby and sweetie and honey, and it's so syrupy sweet. We drive our kids crazy because we're syrupy sweet with our affection in front of them. And they're like, ew, gross, go somewhere else. I'm like, how do you think you got here? Why? Because we adore each other. Do we drive each other nuts sometimes? Oh, guarantee it. Because that's called marriage. But we adore each other. 
And we do our very best to treat each other with that type of syrupy, sweet adoration. And in these last handful of years, our marriage has gotten better and better. And, and, and guys, can I tell you that in 26 years, you can go through seasons where you don't feel in love? And the reason typically you don't feel in love is you quit acting in love. See, when you start acting in love, you start feeling in love. It's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. That when you act a certain way, you ever, have you ever felt like not going to the gym? Daily? But if you make yourself go, if you act like you love it, Next thing you know, you're, man, you're like afterwards and you're getting your breakfast taco. Amen, Jesus' name. I'm going to say taco 50 more times before I close this message. How much I adore tacos. But you act your way into a feeling and all of a sudden you felt great about your workout. Your feeling changed because you acted the right way. Well, it's the same way in your relationships. And can I tell you, it's the same way with God. It's the same way with God. How will you respond to God? Our worship team is going to come up, and we're just going to uh, play one more worship song, and we're just going to worship, because it's all about him. It's all about him. And, and I just want to ask you that question. When it comes to God, see, look, it, it, if God is not challenging you, if God is not challenging you about something in your life, if he's not, if he's not asking you, I, 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 there may be something off. Because God is a God that takes you from glory to glory. He takes you from level to level. And there's no such thing of going to a new level without being challenged. God will always continue to ask more of you. He accepts you just as you are. You don't have to change to come to Jesus. You don't have to change one bit to come to Jesus. But once you come to him and you're in his love, his love starts working on you. And it's the goodness of God, it's the love of God that draws people to repentance and it's the love of God that causes people to want to begin to change their life because they realize how much God loves them and so they want to show God that they love him. So adoration is about obedience. Adoration is about your attitude. Adoration is about your response. How do you respond to God? I'm just going to pray a quick prayer and then we're just going to go into this song and, and we'll transition um, but if you would, would you, just, would you just turn your hands face up like this? And I, I want you to face them up just as a symbol of, you're just, of just giving it whatever. Whatever you're carrying, whatever you're holding on to. Honestly, you, it's possible you could have a, a grievance and a grudge against God because of something you've been through or something that's happened or something you've lost or a way you've been treated. I just want you to offer any hesitation, any resistance, any grudge. So I want you to offer it to him right now. Just give it to him right now. As you do that symbolically, I'm gonna pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your kids that you love. God, you adore every single person in this room, every single person watching online, every single person listening to our podcast, any, every single person connected to this ministry. Your kids, 
and you adore them, you adore them, you adore them. Father, as their hands are facing up right now, would you give them a gift of your love? Would you give them right now, Father, a deposit of your love that they take into their lives? I want you to right now to just imagine God has given you a portion of love and it's in your upturned hands and I want you now to pull those hands in towards your heart, just symbolically, and receive the love of God in your heart. Father, would you right now do a miracle inside of hardened hearts, make them soft. Hearts that have been filled with bitterness, Father, make them pure. Hearts that have been filled with resentment, make them forgiving. And start a brand new work. Start a brand new work. Start a brand new work. Father, create an attitude of childlike faith, of innocent love, as you soften hearts. And Father, let us right now move into a place of adoration towards you. Father, we give ourselves to you. You loved us so much that you gave us Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Father, we receive your love and we ask you to grow your love in our hearts and grow your love in our minds and help us to be examples and reflections of that love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's just worship the Lord. This message has blessed your life, and if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening, and have a great week.